Amen. Well, it's great to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with you today. Welcome to Generation Church. Man, it's so good to be together. There's nothing better, I think, this side of heaven than celebrating our risen Savior with our church family. We've got church going on this morning in Mesa, at our South Mountain campus, at our Fountain Hills campus, and those of you joining us online, I want to say welcome to all of you. It's great to see you today. This is the celebration of the greatest day in human history, the day Jesus rose. Well, I want to preach a message to you this morning, focusing on this. We'll go to Luke 24, and it says this, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. These are angels. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why do you look for the living among the dead? And that's what I want to focus on this morning. I want you to repeat the title after me. Say, no living living. among the dead. Good, you sound great. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remember that he had said this. This part always cracks me up. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, he did say that's exactly what was going to happen. Like, we need that reminder sometimes. Sometimes we just need someone to remind us what God already said. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. You know, they thought that Jesus had been killed. They thought that what they were hoping for wasn't going to come to pass and that they had experienced this terrible defeat. But when the women arrived at the tomb, they found that things were not the way they first looked to be, that Jesus had risen and that hope had also risen as well. And that's the message for us this Easter Sunday, that as bad as things might look, at certain times in the world around us. And sometimes things do look kind of bad. They look scary and people wonder, are we gonna be okay? We always have hope. I saw a Gallup poll recently that said, for really the first time in modern history, Americans do not think that their kids will be better off than the previous generation. That tells you a lot of people are concerned about our world that we're living in and people are looking for answers. But we have this reminder on Easter Sunday, just like the women needed to be reminded by the angels, hey, you have hope because Jesus is alive. We're victorious because Jesus is alive. So be reminded of that this morning. I heard a story that kind of reminds me of this. There's a painting that once hung in the Louvre Museum in Paris as popularly known as Checkmate. And this painting depicts on the left the devil playing a game of chess against this man on the right and the devil looks arrogant and confident and the man on the right looks despondent and supposedly they're, paying, they're playing for the man's soul. The man thinks he's about to lose. And a lot of philosophers talk about how chess in many ways is kind of like a representation of life. That there's many moving pieces and you're trying to fight but a lot of times you end up feeling cornered and defeated. And the story goes that there was a tour going through the Louvre Museum And the tour guide at one point realized they were missing a person. So he goes looking for the missing person and he finds a man standing in front of the painting. And the man's standing there staring intently at the painting. And the tour guide is like, sir, the the tour has moved on. The man responded, well, the thing is, I've been staring at this painting. 
And what you don't know is I am a grandmaster world champion chess player. The guy said, well, that's, that's nice. Are you ready to move on? The man said, the thing is, as a grandmaster world champion, I see things on this chessboard that maybe other people don't see. And the tour guide said, well, is there a problem? And the man said, yeah, yeah, as a grandmaster world champion chess player, I think there's a problem with this painting. See, they're either going to have to change the painting or change the name because that's not checkmate. The king has one more move. And I came to tell you today that Jesus, the king of kings and Lord of lords, had one more move. The devil thought he had defeated Jesus when his body laid still in the grave, but Jesus had the final word. He rose again from the grave. Sometimes you feel cornered in life, sometimes you feel defeated, but you don't have any problems in your life that a good resurrection can't fix. When Jesus is in your life, you have hope, you have a reason to keep going forward. In Luke 24, it said, why do you look for the living among the dead? And there's a lot of people in the world around us looking for life in dead places. They're looking for solutions to the world problems among the dead. The problem is you won't find the solution to a spiritual problem among the spiritually dead. There's no life among the dead. And I want to talk about some of the ways that that plays out in our lives. First, you won't find life in dead religion in dead religion. Now, as a pastor, sometimes I invite people to church. A lot of you invite people to church. And sometimes people are like, okay, yeah, I'd love to come. Other times, one of the common responses when people are trying to let me down gently is they'll say, oh, no, see, I'm not religious. And I, I always want to tell them, sometimes I do because I'm feisty, I'll say, yes, you are. You are way more religious than you think you are. In fact, everyone is very religious, whether they realize it or not. See, every decision you make is based on a set of beliefs and values that form the framework for how you make decisions and take action. By definition, your set of beliefs that forms your decisions is your religion. And a lot of people are religious even though they don't realize it. Some of you are way more religious than you realize. All the religions of the world can be boiled down into two categories. I'm going to make you a, a world religion expert right now. One category, you've got Christianity as it's taught in the Bible. That's what we believe. That's who we are. We're Christians. That's why we're here today. Uh, Christianity was proven true when Jesus rose from the dead. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. He made this very exclusive claim. A lot of people will say there are many ways to God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said, no, there are not many ways to God. Only through Jesus can you find your way to the Father and heaven. And so why should we listen to Jesus making this exclusive claim? It's because he proved that he knows what he's talking about when he died and actually rose again from the dead. You know, this isn't something that we just believe on Easter Sunday because it gives us a warm, fuzzy feeling. But all the actual evidence points to the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead. If you'd like to study that more, I'd recommend the book or the movie, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. But the more you look into the actual evidence, the stronger your faith will get. 
That's one of the things that's different about Christianity because it's actually true. Look at some of these factors like Jesus' body was buried in a known location, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a well-known wealthy man in ancient times. And so when his disciples heard he had risen, they knew exactly where to go look for the body. They found his body wasn't there and people could go see for themselves because they knew where he was buried. In Jesus' day, it was very common for religious leaders to have their tombs enshrined and they became holy sites because people thought the bones of these religious leaders were holy so they would come to the shrine and pray but Jesus's tomb was never enshrined despite the fact that he was so popular that's because his disciples knew there was no point going there because his bones weren't there because he had risen one of the things I love we don't always appreciate this as much, but it was an even bigger deal in Jesus' day that the Bible says the first witnesses to the empty tomb were women. Where are all the ladies at? Give me a shout out. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Ladies, you have a lot more rights and freedoms today. In ancient times, it wasn't that way, okay? In fact, in ancient times, a woman wasn't even allowed to testify in a legal court because it was considered her, her opinion, her witness wasn't considered trustworthy. And there are even records of secular historians making fun of Christianity for the fact that the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. And yet the Bible says women were the first witnesses. Why? Because they actually were. That's actually what happened. Jesus appeared to 500 eyewitnesses at one time. And all these people, they didn't hallucinate. We couldn't even get this room to agree on the best place to get a hamburger, you know, like, but let alone getting 500 plus people to hallucinate the exact same thing and, and tell the same exact story. Think about the fact that some of Christian's first enemies, Christianity's first enemies, like Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting and helping to hunt down and kill Christians, suddenly completely changed 180 degrees and started preaching Christ. What happened to him? The Bible tells us he met the risen Christ and that changed him. Or his disciples, the disciples of Jesus. People will sometimes say, well, maybe the disciples stole his body and hid it and made the whole thing up. Now, I know I'm probably the only person who's ever told a lie in my life here. I've lied a couple times in my life, I'll admit. And every time I've ever lied, it was to help myself. Anybody understand what I'm talking about right now? Like you've told a lie to get yourself out of trouble how many of you have told a lie to get yourself into trouble before? <laughs> That's what usually ends up happening when you do lie. But the disciples, they proclaimed Jesus had risen, even when it ended up getting them tortured and eventually executed. And they never recanted. They never changed their story. If they were lying, I think at one point they probably would have said, okay, time out. I don't want to be killed for this lie. But they kept telling the same story that Jesus had risen. Why? Because he actually had. I love that even non-Christian historians talk about the resurrection. There's an account here from Tacitus, a Roman historian who was not a Christian at all. But he talks about this account in the early Christians. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report that he was responsible for the fire that raised Rome, Nero, the emperor of Rome, fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite torture on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, talking about Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus, and a most mischievous superstition. What do you think that was? 
thus checked for the moment again, broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. Here he, he is talking about Jesus and Christians, this hated group, and how Jesus suffered the extreme penalty that was crucifixion. And now there's this weird superstition going around that something happened. The fact they were talking about Jesus had risen and the word was spreading all throughout the ancient empire. Why? Because Jesus actually rose. And here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet celebrating Jesus. We mark time by his birth. More songs have been sung about him. More books have been written about him. More paintings have been painted of him. More people follow him than anyone else because he actually died to pay the price for our sins and rose again. Amen. So that's Christianity. Then you have all the rest of the religions. All the rest of the religions were really started by people who claims to have special knowledge or insight. And these other religions I would call false religions. Now, if you don't know me, you're maybe a guest today. Uh, this is the part of the sermon where maybe like I offend some of you a little bit. And I'm not trying to do that. I don't like offending people, but sometimes just to keep it real and tell the truth, that's what ends up happening. And my goal is not to hurt anybody, but to help you. It says in 1 John chapter 4, there's a strong warning. It says, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Some people will claim to have spiritual wisdom or insight or supernatural knowledge. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. And that's true. The Bible is warning us there are many people that claim to have supernatural insight and knowledge and wisdom... But that doesn't always come from God. The, the wisdom and knowledge that comes from God is in the Bible. That's what you can trust. But there are a lot of false prophets out there. And these false prophets have started a lot of false religions. There are the dead world religions. These are the major religious systems founded by men who died. And unlike Jesus, they stayed dead. That's something that's worth noting. Guys like Muhammad who started Islam or Joseph Smith or Buddha or Confucius. They all claim to have special new revelation that's different than what the Bible says. They died and they stayed dead. Another type of popular belief system that's spreading throughout our country today is what I would call secular humanism. The secular part means it's separate from God. It's secular. And the humanism aspect is basically a way of saying humans are the heroes. This is the world we live in today. People want to separate everything from faith. This idea that if we humans will just band together and work hard and believe the best in each other and do our best, that we can make the world a better place and we don't need God's help in order to do this. These are the people who they say, I don't need God. And in reality, they're their own God. They think, you know, us humans, we're the answer to the world's problems. And I would just say, over the last 50 years, as our world has become more secular, how's that been working out for us? Another popular belief system is Christian pluralism. This is Christianity plus. The idea that you can be Christian in a sense, and then you can also have a bunch of other ideas that coexist with that. This is kind of like the Burger King Christianity. You can have it your way. You can have some of the encouraging, inspiring quotes and some of the hopeful beliefs but you can just take the parts of the Bible you don't like and just take that stuff out. Just edit it out. You can replace it with more progressive, more tolerant, less offensive ideas. So that's what a lot of people do. They're like, 
I'm a Christian, but then the stuff in the Bible about hell? No, thank you. That's not very pleasant to think about. The stuff the Bible says about sin and sex or, or justice or politics, like how, how my faith should affect my views on political matters. Like, I don't really want God telling me how to vote. So I'm just going to remove that stuff from my faith and insert my own beliefs. It's Christianity plus. These people, they use some of the same language. They maybe check Christian on a census. But really, they're not submitted to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but rather me, myself, and I is the Lord of their life. And, and listen, that's good enough for the devil. Because the devil knows if he can keep you from receiving Jesus as your king... He can also stop you from receiving Jesus as your Savior. In 1 Timothy 4, another strong warning, it says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. I feel like today there could be someone who needed that warning that you're in danger of turning away from the true faith and following a subtle twisting and deception of what the Bible actually teaches is true. There are only two options. There is biblical Christianity, which leads to life, and everything else that leads to death. And I know that's not tolerant, but I didn't come here today to be politically correct. I came here to be biblically correct and help you find the truth. Here's the next thing I want to touch on. You won't find life in sin. Now, the good news is... Jesus on the cross paid the price for all of our sins. So we can be forgiven. We don't have to walk around with guilt and shame because of our past and our mistakes. There are no perfect people in this church. Amen, church? Including me. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect, but we are forgiven. Which if you can't be perfect, the next best thing is to be forgiven. Amen? But sin is a problem. and, And sin is something that we sometimes do still struggle with as Christians. Sin keeps people from experiencing the life that God wants to give them. Some people, sin will stop them from coming to Jesus in the first place. There might be someone here today, you're kind of drawn to Jesus. Maybe something in you right now is pulling you towards God. You want to go closer to God, but you know that there are some things in your life that, let's be honest, you like doing, that if you you come to Christ, God is going to want you to put those things aside. And that stops some people from ever choosing Jesus. And then there are some people, they become Christians, and like, you know, they really are. But then there's sin in their life, and they keep it around, and that sin stops them from experiencing the full life that God has for them. In James chapter 1, it says this, temptation comes from our own desires. We have a sinful nature, and the devil can only tempt us with what our sinful nature desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. So desire, you leave it around long enough, you let it just kind of hang out. Eventually it turns into action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You won't find life among the dead. I want to tell you a story about a hippopotamus. This is a hippopotamus that was rescued by this guy named Maurice Ells around 2005. A local river had flooded. When this little hippo was six months old, Maurice took the hippo home and adopted it as a pet and named the hippo Humphrey. That's a great name for a hippo, isn't it? Humphrey the hippo. Maurice built a lake on his property for 
the hippo to swim in and started teaching him to do tricks and playing with him. Maurice told a local reporter, Humphrey is like a son to me. There's a relationship between me and Humphrey, and that's what some people don't understand. He said, some people have dogs and cats for pets. I have a relationship with the most dangerous animal in Africa. He said, it's a little bit dangerous, but I trust him with my heart that he will not harm anybody. Well, in 2011, (laughs) Humphrey bit Maurice, drug him back to the same river he was rescued from, and drowned him. It's a little Easter cheer for you. (laughs) They found Maurice's body savagely bitten and drowned. And a neighbor told one of the local reporters, we tried to warn him, but he didn't listen. That's exactly what happens with sin in our lives. We'll keep certain sins in our lives, sometimes even as Christians, bad habits, things that God has called us to put aside or walk away from or lay down. And we'll think, no, I'm a Christian, but it's, it's okay for me to keep this, this little pet sin around, this little pet sin. It's okay. I can manage it. It's a small thing. I can control it. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it. And, and the thing is, over time, it gets bigger it gets bigger, it gets more dangerous, it leads to sinful actions, and sin, when it is allowed to grow, gives birth to death. I wonder if anybody here today maybe has some Humphrey in their home (laughs) that God is trying to warn you about, and he wants to set you free from that before it grows and gets worse and results in tragedy. I believe that today is a great day for repentance and recommitment to Christ. And some people would just say, man, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and I want to repent of sin and be forgiven and experience life. Romans 6, 16, it says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And I'm not here to make anybody feel bad about sinning today. We've all sinned. I'm here to make you feel good about rising up out of your sin. Maybe today someone here, you're like, man, I want to confess this to God. I want to get right with God. Like there's some things in my life I've been letting hang around that I know shouldn't be there. And I want to get back on the right track. I want a relationship with Jesus more than my pet sin. I'm going to follow Jesus from this day forward with all my heart. And if I do fall and make mistakes, I'm going to trust God to lift me up in his grace and help me keep moving forward. Proverbs 24 says, though the righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. We got some people in the room today, you've fallen and you've fallen and you start to wonder if that means God has given up on you. That's not the way this works. The same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in you. And if God could raise Jesus from the dead, he can lift you up out of any sin. And then I want to touch on this. You won't find life in dead Christian faith. There is such a thing as dead Christian faith. Maybe you've seen somebody on life support where, you know, they're hooked up to machines and they're not communicating or moving. They're not able to feed themselves, but technically they're not dead. And the machines are keeping them alive, keeping their blood pumping and their chest rising. I think there are a lot of Christians who would identify as Christians, but maybe are living on a type of spiritual life support. Like maybe they would check Christian on the census survey, but when you look at their life, You don't see a lot of signs of health. And maybe they'll get into heaven when they die. But when you look at their life, it doesn't really look like they're living the life 
that Jesus came to give us. In James chapter 2, it says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, so we know we're saved by faith, by God's grace, right? Not by our works. We trust in Jesus. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus did. But then this, this chapter in the Bible kind of gives us like a challenging counter perspective that if you say you have faith, but it never results in any actions, what good is that? that that's like a dead faith. And I know there are a lot of people that are like, but I believe in God. And, and that's like, even the demons believe in God. A lot, a lot of the demons have more respect for God than people who claim to believe in God. There is a difference between technically not being dead and really being alive. There are some types of behaviors you see amongst healthy people, and I think you see a lot of the same things with spiritual health. Living faith, it looks like this. You see there's eating. So you might, might find that reading the Bible. It's like spiritual nourishment for your soul. And I know most of us probably think, I need to read the Bible more, but at least do something, right? Just read sometimes where you go to church, you hear a sermon, you're spiritually nourishing your soul. And that's what living faith tends to do. You talk to God, you take in his word, it, it helps you. Then there's exercise. So exercise is so important for us, otherwise we become lethargic and unhealthy. Spiritually, the way we exercise is by serving others. Jesus, before he was going to die on the cross, took time to wash his disciples' feet as an example to us about how important it is to serve one another. That's how you exercise your spiritual muscles. It keeps you from becoming self-centered and lethargic. And then we know how important this is. We need community. And healthy people, they have relationships. And the way that we experience community is through church. It's not just a place you go. It's a community you belong to. When you come to church on an average week, how many people do you see that you know, who know you? If, if you're brand new, maybe nobody. But if you've been coming for a while and you still don't know anybody, you probably need to come more often and get more involved. Oh, 47 times in the New Testament, there are one another commands, like love one another, forgive one another, serve one another. People will tell me all the time, I don't need a church to be a Christian. And it's like, you technically don't need a church to go to heaven, but you do need a church to obey Christ. How can you love one another when there is no other? And then healthy living things, they grow and you see growth. Get, living things multiply and grow and healthy Christians multiply like rabbits. We just spread the good news everywhere we go and like new Christians pop up and we just multiply. Like, so I would ask you to think about your faith. Have you been progressing? We're not perfect, but we're progressing. I think about how, you know, some things like giving. When I was a young Christian, I didn't like to give. I didn't want to give. And then over time, the Lord kind of made me want to start giving. And, and things I used to struggle with, he helped me to overcome that. And so none of us are perfect, but are you progressing or do you feel like you've been stuck for a while? Are you sharing your faith? Does your, your faith result in multiplication of faith in others around you? If you've been stuck, it might be that, your faith hasn't been living alive the way that God wants it to be. The goal isn't just to get you into heaven, but to get heaven into you. So that everywhere you go, the light of life would shine through you. 
John 10, Jesus said this, the thief, talking about the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life to the full. He doesn't want to just technically keep you from death, but Jesus wants you to have full life. Are you living abundant life? That, that verse sometimes gets kind of misappropriated by like prosperity gospel preachers on TV who will tell people, you know, that it's about material possessions and things like that. But there, it's actually so much better than that. The full life that Jesus comes to give us is so much better than like material goods. There's nothing wrong with material possessions, but Jesus wants to give you something better and lasting that cannot be taken away from you, like peace and hope and purpose. There is nothing better than the full life Jesus gives us, so don't settle for anything else. And I think today God is calling some people to go push further in to the Lord, get closer to Jesus and really live instead of settling for a shadow of what their life could be. I saw this survey recently in the Wall Street Journal. It was asking people, which of these things are very important to you? And it was talking about different areas of our society. And it, it took a measurement in 1999 and then in 2019, right before you know what, and then <laughs> this year in 2023. And so over time, you see like some declines and some rising things. So patriotism declined by 50%, love it, loving your country. Uh, religion, and most of the people responding, majority are Christian, by 50% decline. Having children, that's a pretty big part of, of life, declined by about 50%. Community involvement was going up, and then the pandemic had shot down by over 50%. The only thing that rose was money. Which of these things are very important to you? Money. Meanwhile, love for your country going down, faith going down, having kids, starting a family, building a, a legacy, going down, being involved in your community, just in general, like going down. While people are more concerned for money, it just tells you people know there are problems in the world and they're increasingly looking in the wrong place for answers. There's a reason Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. Instead of pursuing faith and faith in Jesus to find life and, and hope, people are looking to government and politicians and political systems, and they think if we could just get better social systems and better education systems, and if we could just put aside our differences and be more tolerant, that would solve our problems, right? That's not the way this is going to work, right? There is no hope in those things. Life is only found in Jesus, we know this. Jesus proved that he is the answer to our problems. It's not just generic religion or generic faith, but Jesus Christ who died and rose again. Jesus changes everything for us. Everything you want deep down in your soul the most is only found in Jesus. Jesus gives us all value. He, he shows that we're valuable. Man, woman, and child, regardless of nation, tribe, or tongue, you have value, the Bible says, because you're made in God's image. And Jesus proved how valuable you are to God by laying his life down to buy your freedom. You want to have purpose for your life and hope for the future? That's found in Jesus. You want to have a strong marriage and raise up kids to know the Lord and, and see a society where they can flourish? Jesus has to be the bedrock of that society. He's the one that gives us the strength to love our enemies and pray for those 
who persecute us. He is the only way. Life and life abundantly is only found in him. In Revelation 1, he said, I am the living one. That's what we're celebrating today. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. That means he has the authority to give you eternal life if you'll trust in him. We know the world needs help. And we also know resurrection power through Jesus. He is the answer. Amen.